Good morning. Welcome. Easy. <laughs> Settle down, you guys. I, 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 I understand there's a little tension. Somebody wears a jersey like this here just a little bit. But you don't know the whole story, right? Right? So, did I lose a bet? No, I didn't lose a bet. Uh, actually, um, I was named for this fella. Franco Harris. Yeah, that was pretty lame, sorry. That was pretty bad. Now, I just think it's interesting. You guys see the jersey, and right away you're like, rrr, 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 boo, rrr, rrr. What you don't see is what's actually, <laughs> careful how I say this, actually. <laughs> what's under the jersey? <laughs> let, me, let me do this so I don't break the microphone. button. See, because underneath the exterior that you all hated of the Steelers jersey was this incredible Patriots shirt, which you all love. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> See, the, the, the reality is we can walk into a place and make quick snap external judgments based on what somebody's wearing. Or what car they drive up the driveway in. Maybe who they voted for. Maybe you make a quick, you, do you homeschool or do you allow your children to go to the cesspool that is public schools? <laughs> See, we, we were really quick to, to jump on the judgments based on the, the externals without knowing what's really going on underneath. And that is exactly what Pastor James is telling his congregation, the, the half-brother of Jesus, as he shares his wisdom with his folk who are scattered throughout the empire because of the persecution and the difficulty in their lives, what, what is happening in these moments is James is saying, listen, 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 stop making judgments based on externalism because what it's going to do is lead you to this thing that he talks about here called favoritism. Favoritism. Verse 1, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. If somebody comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, a poor person in filthy clothes, if you look with favor, the one who's got the fine clothes sit here in a good place, and the poor person, you're like, ah, why don't you stand over there or sit on the floor? Well, well, well then, actually, that's, you've made distinctions. The idea of favoritism, that word can be translated as uh, to, to lift up the face, to make judgment based on just what you see, and that's exactly what's happening. And man, in our culture around us, it happens continuously, nearly constantly. In fact, so much so that our culture's biggest problem today, in my estimation, uh, mark the date because it'll change in the next hour and day, I'm sure, but one of the greatest problems in our culture today is that we are willing to go into an exorbitant amount of debt to maintain appearances so that we can be judged externally by other people in the way that we want to be judged. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, okay, the, the, the Steelers jersey, sure. I have a Patriots bumper sticker on the back of my truck. That goes over well when I drive through Baltimore. <laughs> Stephanie and I were um, young when we got married. I was 21, she was 20. Uh, after about a month of marriage, we went to a conference with each other. It was a pastor's conference. Um, we were the young ones. There was a lot of older pastors in the area. Uh, they had a, a breakfast or something, and we were standing in line waiting for breakfast after being married for about a month, and we were, 
We were holding hands. We were newlyweds. We are holding hands. And we're just standing there. We're just kind of like canoodling. That's what you do. It's all. And this dude comes up. Comes up and he's like, hey, excuse me. He kind of tugs. I mean, he probably wasn't as short as I remember him being. But he kind of tugged on my, on my pant leg. <laughs> um, and, and he was like, um, hey, excuse me, excuse me. And so I, I bent over because he was short. And he said, uh, hey, hey. You know what that can lead to? I was 21, not the most mature in the world. And so I'm like, excuse me? He said, that, right there. You know what that can lead to, young man? And so I said, I do, in fact. See? And showed him my wedding ring. And he said, ha, yeah, I got one of those too after 27 years. Goodbye. <laughs> Went into a suit store that no longer exists because of the way they treated me, I believe. But that's not, probably not the case. Dressed something like this, because let's be honest, I like casual, I was casual, but I was in a season of my life where I had to wear a suit at least twice a week, I had to wear a tie every day, and so I went into the suit store, I'm like, I need to get a new suit, I have done this for years, we're talking, at this point, don't exaggerate, probably 10 to 12 years of buying my own suits, I knew exactly what fit I liked, I knew exactly what brand I liked, I know what threads I liked, I had all the stuff, and I'm standing there looking at the rack, and this, this, this salesman comes over and looks at me up and down like, can I help you? I'm like, actually, yeah. I'm looking for it, and I went through my list, and he's like, yeah, you don't, you don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that. Really? He's like, obviously, this is your first suit. Good day, sir. Enjoy when your store closes, because you're a moron. You ever been judged because of your externals? James says, hey, listen, let's suppose. That's what verse 2 starts like. Four, let's suppose... For example, Sunday morning, two newcomers walk into Uniontown Bible Church. The first guy comes in. It's obvious he's, he's wealthy. He's successful. He rolls up in a Porsche. Uh, he's, he's fit. He's tan. His hair is all in the right place. He's got the nicely pressed polo, the finest shoes, not Hey Dudes, in case you were wondering. If you don't know what Hey Dudes are, don't worry about it. You're too old for them anyway. Just let it go. <laughs> And, and, and he's got the finest, it used to be Rolex, but now it's, it's, it's an Apple Watch, kind of, sort of, it's an Apple Watch, with a, but whatever it is, he's got the finest one. And he's got this, you know, that successful smell about him? I mean, there is one. There's a, I wish I knew what it was. I mean, in my industry, as a pastor, I only get to choose one clone. It's called Eternity. Uh, but, um, <laughs> I'm, I don't know what happened this morning. Sorry, I'm sorry, I love you. I'm usually not like this. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but the guy, he's got a, it was because of the phone thing last week. I'm a little on edge still, sorry. Um, but he's got that successful smell on him. But then, and then the second dude comes in. He is obviously not successful. His hair is anything but in the right place. And the aroma is not sweet. And that first fella comes in and has a lineup of people surround him. Hey, I'm going to get you the best seat in the house this morning, if you, if you want to avoid eye contact with the pastor, the trick is to sit in the first four rows, because he looks right over the top of you, he never looks at you. But don't sit in the third row, because John will take you out. <laughs> right? so, so make sure you're in the right row, but let me get you to the fine seat, let me bring you to the aisle, hey, nice aisle seat, everybody says, let me get you a cup of coffee, I'd love to show you around, let me know if you have any questions. But the second guy, the second guy stands in the corner by himself, just kind of like, I don't even know what to do. 
And, and our greeters, elders, pastors, leadership, membership, whoever it might be, is kind of congregating, doing the side eye, looking at him all the time, and, and it's like, I wonder what he's here for. And then he gets approached, and somebody, somebody says, listen, if you're going to stay here, just know this, we don't want any disruptions. We have security. Why, why don't you just go ahead and stand, stand back there in the corner? Stand back there in the corner. Two very different responses that are based on nothing but externals. And James uses that exact example. If this rich person comes in wearing the rings, and then you cater to his every need, but this poor person comes in with his clothes just in shambles, you send him to the back of the room, or you ask him to, to sit on the floor, and, and, and let me tell you this right now, if we're not careful, we're in danger of doing the same thing, Uniontown Bible Church. You have to admit inside of us is, is this bent towards favoritism and prejudicial thinking. We've got to fight the drift of our heart towards that. That's why James says, don't show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it such a big deal? Verse 4, he tells us, you make judgment or made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Why is it such a big deal that you shouldn't judge based on externals? Because you make a terrible judge. You make distinctions. That means you're making up the rules. It's like a kid who suddenly changes the rules to basketball so that he wins every time. My dad was like that whenever we'd golf. It's like, how is it possible? I beat you by 20 strokes and I still lost. Well, you know, if you carry the two, stop it. That's distinctions. You're, you're coming up with your own ideas, your own established rules. And James says you're going to do that because the nature of your heart is so deceitful. It's so desperately sick, so desperately wicked. And as you look at other people, friends, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know what's going on inside of them. You can only judge based on what you see. So, so why, why is this such a big deal? Because you make a terrible judge. Why is this such a big deal? Verse 6. You have dishonored the poor. You have dishonored, insulted, demeaned another person. You've elevated yourself so that you could tear the other person down. That, that word dishonored means to cause someone to be looked down upon or to cause someone to be laughed at. Maybe it's the way they dress, the way they talk. The way they carry on, the way they raise their hands in worship, the way they, they cry all the time, the car that they drive. Maybe it's their abilities or their perceived lack of abilities. I've been praying for a month or two now about how to make specific application to a specific area within our church, and God, as he does so often, brings us to a passage of scripture like, there it is. I want to make specific application before we move through this, just to the fact that we have men and women, young men and young women, of all types of abilities or perceived abilities, lack of abilities or perceived lack of abilities. And they're wonderful people. And I'm so glad they're here. I'm so thankful that they are among us. I am so thankful to count them as my brother or sister in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about those young adults who attend our each one class at 11 o'clock. 
I'm so grateful for each and every single one of them. And I, I just want to lay this out there before you. If you come into contact with somebody and you're like, okay, they make me uncomfortable because I'm not, I'm not sure where their ability level actually lies. Let me, let, me, let me help you just for a minute. There's five stages to that, and you need to be moving through all five of those all the time. The very first one is, is ignorance, and that's not as negative as it sounds. The idea is you just don't know what's going on with this person. That leads to pity, and pity's okay as long as you don't stay there. You look at them and you feel a genuine, uh, uh, I, I want to know how I can help. But that leads to compassion. Compassion is that word we talked about with Jesus as he looked out on the crowds and saw that they needed food, and it says he had compassion. That word was splagnizomai, right? That splagnizomai is that, that feeling, that gut feeling that comes inside of you as you look at somebody and see them in their truest need, and it leads to action. And then after compassion is friendship. And after friendship, it, it leads to this one part. But let me, let me share just by illustration. We, um, I'll talk about her because I know she's not here. She's in Indiana now. Erin uh, Baldwin was, was, was one of those amazing people um, who... <laughs> When I first got here at Uniontown about seven years ago, I'm like, ah, okay, I'm not sure how to interact with her. I'm really not sure. That was, that was my ignorance side. And then, then, then having conversations with, with her, with her parents, with people here, realizing, man, she, she, she's my age, and she's amazing. Some of the stuff that she does is, is just un, unthinkable. Then, it's, then it moves from that to compassion. I want to make sure that she fits in. How can I make sure I engage her? And she, she, she fit in just fine, just for the record. If you know Erin, you know, you know she was doing just fine. Um, <laughs> um, then it became friendship. Erin, I count Erin as a friend. I, I'm not going to uh, mimic her voice, because I don't want it to seem like I'm making fun of her, because I'm not. But every Sunday morning, I would walk in, and she would see me. She's like, you preaching today? And the next question, always, Jeremy worshiping? Yes, yes. And if not, she was leaving, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the other things with her, man, if you know something about Aaron, you know Michael W. Smith and her are like this. And ice cream? Didn't matter how mad she was at you. If you gave her ice cream, you were her best friend for a week. Where that friendship leads to is this, that final culmination, that area we all need to get to. That Aaron is a beautiful woman who is designed in God's image. And she is my sister in Jesus Christ. She is a co-worker, a co-laborer for Jesus Christ with me. We have this each one young adult class, and they, they are awesome. They're leaders. I won't embarrass them. I won't point them out. I'm just going to say their leaders are amazing. And they're always looking for other folks to come in and help. You don't, you don't need to carry the main load. You just need to be in there and be an extra set of hands. We would love to have you. If you're interested in doing that, just let us know. Drop a note in the offering box. Send us an email, whatever it might be. But, but we'd love to have you in there. But, but let me tell you this. Those folks who are in our each one class, God has placed them here on purpose to show us parts of his nature and his character that we would never know if they weren't here. I know. You come to the right service, you get to hear some of them sing really, really loud. That's my music, by the way, loud, and occasionally you hit the right note. Man, that's, I'm, we're, we're co-laborers of Christ on that one. And if that makes you uncomfortable, if that makes you uncomfortable, your heart is showing. Your heart is showing, because you're judging on the externals again. Last week, didn't know what I was witnessing. Um, I got pieces of the story afterwards, and I put it all together and figured it out. 
Last week, I watched some people make fun of my brothers and sisters. Don't you dare make fun of my family. See, see, last week was slow to anger, remember? I've given it a week. <laughs> Don't you dare. I invite every single one of you who is sitting in this room, if you see that, you are invited to pull them aside and let them know that it's not acceptable. I invite you to do that. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're the one making fun of them, they might do that. If I see you, I will. That's my family. Why take it so seriously? That's my family. It's not cute. It's not just immature. Actually, James tells us exactly what it is. This is full-blown sin. Verse 9. If you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as its transgressors. Oh, come on, it's just, knock it off. The moral gymnast gymnastics that you try to do when you rank your sins, it's got to come to a stop. The logic of ranking your sins is, is just moronic at best. I mean, the, the picture is this, you're on trial for murder. Right? They found you had a smoking gun in your hand when the police showed up. The body was lying in front of you. You confessed to the officers, I did that. You go to your jail. You confess to your cellmate, I murdered that person. Then you go to trial. And then you stand in front of the judge and jury and said, it was me. I shot them. This is why I did this. And when the judge says, okay, 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 it's time for sentencing. Is there anything else you'd like to say? You say, yes, please. I would like to say one thing. And you stand in front of the judge and the jury and say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I just want to let you know, I absolutely murdered that man. However, I have never cheated on my wife. So, you're going to jail because you're guilty of breaking the law. It doesn't matter how moral you think you are in other places. You are guilty. You pay the debt to your society. You pay the punishment that is rightly yours to bear. So, so let, me, let me finish this. I, time is flying by. Um, it's because I had a wardrobe change in the middle and messed me up. So <laughs> don't show favoritism. Don't judge based just on the externals. If you just judge on the externals, that you're a mess. You're a mess. It's, it's no good. Why? Because you make a terrible judge. You're demeaning other people. It's sin. And finally, it's completely contrary to the way the gospel works. God doesn't look out from heaven and go, ooh, that one's wealthy, good looking. Highly educated, freshly bathed, drive a nice car, wears eternity. <laughs> I'll take that one. No, th that, would be, that would be you flexing. See, the gospel is when God flexes. God showed up, not looking for a superstar, because there were none. God showed up to love the unlovable. He showed up to, to rescue the despised. He showed up to give his life for his enemy. That's what 1 Corinthians is talking about. You know, the God chose the, the foolish in the world. He's chosen what's insignificant and despised. That's why, so that no one could boast in his presence. He did these things at the end there so that the one who boasts can't boast in themselves but can only boast in the Lord. See, what you need to understand, as James lands the plane in his, his section here, is that when we talk about having real faith, it's not about just conveniently going to church when it doesn't conflict with my kid's soccer schedule. It, it doesn't mean that I just read the Bible at 6 in the morning to 6.05 in the morning and be like, ah, yeah, got it, I'm ready to take the day. 
Real faith, real faith is this, this constant pouring into the gospel, allowing it to reflect its mirror-like image into our lives so it can point out the areas that we need to confess and repent. Real faith, when it comes to looking at the externals and, and the people who are surrounding us, and sometimes that can get to be a little conflicting and can get difficult, right? Well, well, real faith looks at those moments and says, the mercy that I have received from God is the mercy that I am supposed to be giving to other people. We demonstrate that we've received the mercy of God when we show it to other people. He loved us when we were unlovely. He's given us what we could have never earned. And when we don't show mercy to other people, it makes it evident that we're not walking with real faith. Which in turn causes us to question if you understand the mercy that you've been given. Peter, uh, Peter asks the Lord at one point, Jesus, he says, hey, uh, uh, how many times am I supposed to forgive this guy? He's driving me crazy. Seven times? And, and that's a big number because the rabbis taught three times. And so what Peter did is he was like, all right, so if the rabbis teach three times, well, it should be six plus one. So Jesus, should I do it a whole seven times? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, no, 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 no. How about uh, 77 times? Now, it's not that Jesus wanted you to keep track. You got the tick sheet so guys, you get nervous, you come home and your wife's got the tick sheet. How many times do you leave his socks out? All right, we're at 76, watch out. It's, he's not saying that. He's, he's saying, you've missed the point of what forgiveness is supposed to look like. Let me, let me tell you a story, he says. There was this king, and he wanted to settle his accounts. And so he called in his servants to settle the debts that, that were owed to him. And he called this one servant in. And as Jesus is telling the story, the crowd is kind of gathered, and they're already a little thrown off by the 77 thing. And they're listening to Jesus, and he says, okay, so, so as, the, as, as the servant comes in, he gives a little background, he says, and the, this servant, he owed the king 10,000 talents. Yeah, we're so American, it's crazy. 10,000 talents. Nothing, right? Let, let, me, let me help you with that a little bit. Twelve and a half times the amount of income that that immediate area would have brought in annually for taxes. So if we were to do that same number here in Carroll County, that would work itself out to be about five billion dollars. He can't pay it back. It's almost impossible to get into that level of debt. And the king's like, you owe this to me. And the guy's like, I, got, I just need you to be patient. Be patient. Well, I'll pay you back. And at that point, the crowd had to have laughed a little bit to themselves, right? Like, he's not going to be able to pay him back. He doesn't need patience. He needs a miracle. He need, needs to find that money tree. What's he going to do? Well, I can't. I will pay you back everything that I owe. I promise. And, and as the crowd is thinking, like, okay, just send him to the, the debtor's prison. Just get rid of him now. And, and this curveball comes because in Jesus' story, he says, yeah, and the king hears him, sees him begging for mercy, sees him asking for patience, and the king says, okay, I'm going to cancel your debt. Why? Why, why would the king cancel the debt? Well, because he had compassion on him and he, and he showed him mercy. The king has every right to cancel that debt. They're his resources. The debt was to him. He had it in his power to forgive such a huge, huge debt. And so the king says, cool, all right, 10,000 talents, done, uh, forgiven. Debt's canceled. Have a great day. How do you leave that meeting? Are you like, 
yay, and just run out, or are you doing what I'm doing? There's no question. I'm like, oh, I'm not even going to make it out the gate, and they're going to tackle me. Where are they? I know they're coming because I know he's messing with me. It's coming. I know it's, I know it's coming. Because there's absolutely no reason he deserved that level of mercy. There's no reason he deserved that level of compassion. There's no reason he should have been forgiven that incredible debt. But as he leaves the king's presence, he runs into a buddy of his that owes him a hundred denarii. Maybe, 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 here, let me do this contrast for you. The contrast between 10,000 talents and 100 denarii is 600,000 to one. So, the king forgave this fella $9.6 million. And this fella walks outside and finds a friend who owes him 16 bucks. wraps his hands around his throat and he begins to choke him and he says, you need to pay me what you owe me. Please, have, have patience with me. I will pay you what I owe you. I mean, he says the exact same thing that this other fella said just a mere hours before as he stood before the king with this unthinkable load of debt. Just give me patience and I will pay back everything you, you owe. And he says, no, and he throws him into debtor's prison. Over 16 bucks after he had just been forgiven 9.6 million dollars. Word gets back to the king. He calls this servant back into his presence and says, You are a, a wicked servant. I shouldn't have had any mercy on you at all. You should have shared the same mercy that I have given to you with your fellow servant. You're in jail. Real faith sees the mercy that we've received as mercy we're supposed to give other people. Somehow, we side-eye people who, who, in our estimation, deserve nothing, and we forget the fact that we deserve nothing and have everything. What has is, what is God given to you? And if, if, if you're in Christ, he, is, he has given you new birth. You're a new creation. He has forgiven you of your sins and your trespasses. He has reconciled you to, your, to, to the Father through his finished work on the cross. His ongoing mercy in your life. All because of what Christ did for you. So have you been shown mercy? Who have you refused to show mercy to? Who is it in your life that just makes you so uncomfortable that you're just like, I don't want any time. Got no time for them. See, real faith sees the mercy that God has given us as mercy we should give to others. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your grace and your mercy that covers all of our shortcomings, all of our sins. God, I, I, as we end our service here, we, we come to the place where we can celebrate that truth of mercy. Um, as we celebrate and look at the breaking of bread and the rejoicing in the cup as we do this together as a family of faith. Lord, I, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in these last moments together. It's in your matchless name, uh, I pray. So, so, so this morning, uh, we're almost done. This morning we have the opportunity 
uh, to celebrate communion together. And so um, we're, we're going to end our service with this. It's a place where, a time where we are reminded of our hope and how our hope lies in that broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're, a, if you're here this morning and you're a guest with us and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then we invite you um, in just a moment with the rest of us, right? In just a moment, we're going to leave our seat to the left, come to the front of our section where there's a table with the elements. You're going to take the two cups that are stacked and, and you're going to return to your seat uh, on the right-hand side and, and, and just wait. We'll all take communion together. We've, we've got the, the, the gluten-free um, in the back there um, for you, those that need that as well. Um, but, but I'm going to tell you, if, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or if you're here right now and you're living in open rebellion to Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to stay where you are. Um, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying that there's a day that you celebrate this with us someday. I look forward to that. But for right now, I, I just want you to, to stay. There's, there's nothing here for you because it's not, it's not magical. It's, it's a cracker and it's juice. And cracker is actually being really complimentary of what it is. Amen, amen, okay. Uh, it, this, this doesn't give you good luck or forgive your sins. Um, this is a picture of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of the mercy that you and I have experienced through our relationship in Jesus Christ. And so we want to celebrate that together. Uh, and so I'm going to ask that uh, in just a moment you're going to stand and you're going to come and receive your elements, return to your seat. Just spend a few moments considering the mercy that was, that was applied to your account through what Jesus did for you. Would you stand and, and come receive the elements now?